listening to the Jelly Donut Podcast. I'm Ryan, your host. Join me as I talk to the best and brightest in finance and economics. We'll go beyond just theory and discuss some of the most important real-world macro questions of our time. What happens next and how does all of this end? Pull up a seat and listen in. We'll talk about it coming up next. Today's show is brought to you by Kova Coffee. Kova is a specialty roaster out of Portland, Oregon, and they specialize in single-origin coffees. They're committed to long-term, sustainable partnerships with coffee producers. Now, if you're like me, I love coffee. I like to start off with usually one or two cups. I make it by hand at home with a pour-over, but it doesn't matter how you make it. You could be using a Mr. Coffee machine. It doesn't matter, but what does matter is the beans. You have to start with really high quality beans and you'll always make sure you have a great cup. So just say no to those burnt, over-roasted corporate coffee beans that you find at a grocery store and upgrade your coffee game. I'm going to make it real easy for you. Here's what you do. Just go to covacoffee.com, that's C-O-A-V-A, coffee.com, and use our code JDP10, that's JDP10. And you get $5 off your first purchase. Do it right now while you're thinking about it. You'll be happy you did. I want to welcome our newest sponsor, Baron Fig. Whether you need pens, notebooks, or bags, they have you covered. Baron Fig makes tools for thinking. And they'll help you do your best thinking at home, work, and in between. And if you're a podcast fan, the small little notebooks they have are great for taking notes to refer back to later. I've been using their products now for gosh, over five years, and I love the craftsmanship and attention to detail. So if you like the podcast, show your support to Baronfig. Go to baronfig.com and use our code JDP10, that's JDP10, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. So go check it out right now while you're thinking about it. Today in the show, we have Chris Irons. Chris is a former bartender that is wholly unqualified to talk about finance. You've probably heard him on his popular podcast, QTR. Enjoy my conversation with Chris Irons. All right, Chris, welcome to the podcast. Hey, happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So the first question I like to ask guests is going back to 2008, global financial crisis. Up until that time, we saw a lot of things up until that point, Asian crisis. Um, We saw 98, Russian crisis. We saw SNL crisis, savings and loan, a lot of things along the way. But tell us about, let's go back to 2008, what you were doing at the time, what was going through your mind. 2008. I was bartending for a living in Philadelphia. What was on my mind was probably Jameson whiskey and women (laughs) and tattoos, which is actually kind of what's on my mind right now, actually. So not much has changed in 12 years. Um, I wasn't really an investor during the global financial crisis. I mean, I, I had kind of looked at the markets and 
invested very poorly since I was like 18, 19, but I didn't have a firm enough grasp as to what the hell was going on to really get anything meaningful from it. It was, you know, probably starting in 2011 when I started to really do some reading and learn about the markets in a deep way that I hadn't done prior to that, that I started to learn actually what the hell happened during the financial crisis, um, you know, what caused it and what the outcomes were. And, and of course, it wasn't until years after that, that I learned really about how central banking and fractional reserve banking and all those things work. So um, I was still kind of oblivious. I mean, I, like I said, I was bartending at, at, in Philadelphia, and I, would, you know, I think I was probably in graduate school at the time. Um, but I definitely wasn't thinking about Hank Paulson, I can tell you that. I was probably thinking about, you know, any number of various recreational activities that I was partaking in in those <laughs> years, whether it was, uh, you know, rock climbing. I used to train as a rock climber and or gambling, which I love to do and still do and getting tattooed, which I enjoyed. I was in a band at the time, so I was probably very concerned with that. Um, and again, sampling uh, various whiskeys, occupying various administrations buildings, like he says in the Big Lebowski. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now let's transition and talk about some of the education and the research that you did after the fact. Um, and listeners to your podcast know that you have a, a firm grasp on, um, as you mentioned, kind of all the events that happened and, and kind of how the inner plumbing and of the financial system works as far as the Fed and how QE works and kind of how the whole system is set up. So were there any books or people who you started following uh, the research that, that kind of got you interested in going down that path to learning more about it? No, I mean, in 2012, 2011, I think 2012, I went to go work for a company as their director of investor relations. So that gave me a crash course in public reporting in a way that I hadn't had it before. Obviously, as the head of IR for a company, you're intimately involved with SEC disclosures. Uh, it was a company that had actually been sued by the SEC prior to me working there for accounting fraud. So there was a lot of shit going on. Uh, there were a lot of lawyers in and out. There was, you know, so I took a lot of meetings with the CFO, the CEO, the, you know, the securities attorneys and, uh, you know, really the company didn't never had an IR function. So I implemented, you know, their first kind of quarterly conference calls, things like that, all kind of from the ground up. It was a very grassroots style company. I think there was only about 35 employees at the time. And uh, so I really had to get moving. And, and I learned very, very quickly by basically, you know, reading 10Ks, reading proxy statements, setting up annual general meetings, all the things that you do as, uh, you know, a functioning member of a public company. Um, and so that was kind of where I got my crash course in public reporting and in disclosure and in securities laws. Um, and then after that, I started to kind of take what was my developing knowledge of equity analysis and broaden that scope a little bit to the macro economy and start learning about because I remember coming out of the crisis and I remember the market just kept going up and I remember looking at the Dow at like 14,000 or 13,000 saying there's no way that this market can just keep going up like this is crazy that we just had this crazy crisis and like you know and and one of the guys who was 
a friend of mine who unfortunately passed away, who was a shareholder in the company, um, told me, he's like, you know, you've never really paid attention during a bull market. Like, this is what, this is what happens. And it was from there. And I was like, well, why? You know, and then I start to learn about central banking and you learn about the Fed and you learn about the, you know, what they did as a result of 2008. And you learn about everything. You learn, I mean, I learned I had to learn everything from scratch and I learned it all without going to school for finance, which now turns out to be one of the greatest assets I think that I have because I was never kind of indoctrinated. I was an English major. The closest I ever came to taking a finance course was I wrote a paper for one of my fraternity brothers on generally accepted accounting principles because uh, he paid me like $100 or something. And I had no fucking clue what I was writing about. I just remember being like, yes. <laughs> writing about generally accepted accounting principles <laughs> like 2004. I mean, I had no clue. I had like straight D's in math through high school. I was not enrolled. Like I actually went to college as a computer science major. Um, and then I switched to being an English major. I was like, fuck this, this is way too much work. Um, loved computers, still do to this day, but wasn't really excited to like do that much work and do programming and stuff. Regardless, um, it was like kind of born out of that, that I learned about how central banking worked. And once I started to piece things together and figure out how the macro economy works and how central banking works from the perspective of an outsider who was not indoctrinated into the Keynesian bullshit coming up through college, it's very clear that it's a giant scam. I mean, it's exceptionally clear that it is a manipulated and rigged Ponzi scheme that is built on confidence that is going to be inherently unstable and is eventually, it, it's just, you know, some days, as I was discovering bits and pieces one day at a time of how macro worked and how central banking worked, every time I learned a new nugget, you know, you're just astonished. And to this day, I'm in a constant kind of jaw-dropped state that more people have not called the central bank's bluff on what they're doing. And I think it's somewhat of a prisoner's dilemma to some degree. People are like, well, this is the system, and this is the system we use to buy our house, and the system we use to do our banking on a daily basis, and the system we use to fucking buy a blender at Kohl's, you know, so we're part and parcel with it. Like, well, we can't go and disrupt it and start shaking shit up now. But on the other hand, we have to come to the realization that it is a certainty that this system will uh, not work for a prolonged amount of time. It's just a question of why it gives out, when it gives out, and, and you know, what happens as a result. Yeah, and I'm looking at a link to Fred, uh, which shows the Fed balance sheet here. And, um, you know, before the recent hockey stick curve that we have up to over six and a half trillion, you know, before that happened, I remember looking at this and uh, going back to 2008, you can see the, the sharp spike, which kind of looks not quite like a blip now, but soon it might look almost kind of like a small little blip. And then Going back to, as you mentioned, 2012 was kind of the turning point for a lot of people where they said, okay, you know, to, 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 uh, 2008, they had to inject this uh, liquidity into the system. 
you know, go, you know, 2009, 10, 11, and then all of a sudden, 2012, you can see there that the balance sheet just starts rising again, um, and then uh, up and up and up when they should have been shrinking it, and then finally they started shrinking, things, shrinking it. Uh, it was, they said it was going to be like watching paint dry, that whole deal, um, and then you know that didn't last very long at all. Uh, I started the podcast back in uh, September 2019 after hearing your show. And, and others like macro voices and I just kind of felt like it was the most important thing to really shed light on is, is talking about the, the feds doing and central banking that there really is no other story more important and then sure enough everything almost that you and most of your guests have talked about is now really kind of almost coming to fruition what are your thoughts on the current market right now well, kudos to you for starting a podcast before this shit hit the fan here recently. Um, you know, it's not the easiest thing in the world to come out and try to shed light on these things while everything is going fine, at least according to the right. common folk, right? We're 11 years into a bull market. We're at peak euphoria. We got guys like Josh Brown writing articles called Perma Bears are Ridiculous People. I mean, <laughs> the environment... <laughs> The environment is just, people are fucking delusional, okay? With a capital F and a capital D, they're delusional, all right? They're just either willfully ignorant or they're just dumb. I don't know what it is, and I don't care. Kudos to you for speaking out before this happened. Now, you know, listen, all I got to do is look at my Twitter followers to understand that people are getting it. Because when I used to get 1,000, 2,000 followers a month, whatever, now I'm getting 9,000 followers a month, 13,000 followers a month. And I'm not, I haven't changed anything. I'm the same asshole that logs on every morning. I drink my six cups of coffee. You know, I start sweating. I get mad. I start tweeting things out, whatever. And uh, and is that still the Wawa or? Well, yeah, but I'm making it here at home now. And so I used okay, to make a okay. daily trip, but now I... I've discovered the timer, the coffee machine timer, for the first time in my life, which is one of the more wonderful inventions I've ever had the pleasure of dealing with. And now I wake up in the morning and the coffee's done, which is incredible. I just, it's, it's amazing that a $15 coffee machine that I have is capable of such alchemy and sorcery. It's beautiful. Regardless, listen, let's go back to finance. Kudos to you for speaking out about it then. I think people are starting to understand it now. When you see all these memes out there being made by these, you know, jackass 16-year-olds that are fucking on 4chan, you know, mostly probably looking at porn for most of the day, but every once in a while putting out a meme of Jerome Powell printing money with the money printer, those <laughs> people fucking get it, man. I give them a lot of credit. The, the, the public is starting to understand. Look, when I can turn on Bill Maher a couple weeks ago and hear Bill Maher ask, um, who did he have on? The uh, Fareed Zakaria. Ask Fareed Zakaria, how, how long can we just keep printing money? I mean, that's not... The thing is, printing money is like one of these finance things that happens in the background. It never comes up on CNBC. It never comes up on any type of mainstream news media. It's kind of the guy behind the curtain. It never really gets talked about. It's always like, oh, the Fed just has everything under control, so we just... We almost don't even look at them, you know? And then Powell goes before Congress and they ask him a bunch of dumbass questions and display that they don't understand how the whole system works. But now people are paying attention to it. Now people are like, and for different reasons. You have dumbasses like Rashida Tlaib, who wants to make 
two one trillion dollar coins, which somebody told me was a Krugman idea before she came up with it, which of course I believe immediately without having to fact check because it's so fucking stupid. I can't believe it. Right. So we have these asinine ideas like, oh, yeah, we're a printed trillion dollar coin. That'll solve our problems. And we have people that are talking about it because it's starting to kind of make their spider senses tingle a little bit. Like, and they're starting to kind of ask very simple questions, right? This is the best part about macro, man. And understanding that the whole thing's a Ponzi scheme is like the less you know about finance, the better. People ask very curious questions, like a, like a fucking first grader would ask, right? Like, hey, if uh, if we can print $12 trillion out of nowhere, why do we have to pay taxes? Right. Why do we have to pay taxes? Oh, that's a good question there, Rusty. You know, what's the answer to that? Let's go to the guy with the PhD. And the guy with the PhD standing there like, well, I don't fucking know, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right, and, PhD, and people with PhDs have historically been running the Fed up until Powell, right? So... It's just crazy. Like, it is absolutely insane. It's This is a very simple... I, look... I not to knock all people with the PhD, but... Right. No, no, I'm not. Listen, but, hey, man, listen. No, I, that's me. I have yeah. a very dear friend of mine who I respect more than anybody in the world, and she's a PhD, or is, is, is very close to getting her PhD. Like, I don't knock people with PhDs. Finance people with PhDs, Maybe a little bit of a different story. Mm-hmm. But listen, I was, I was before we hopped on this podcast just now, I was in a shower and I was thinking about how I was going to talk about things on this podcast with you and what, and without knowing what you were going to talk about. And one of the points that I wanted to make that I decided was to get across the point that this is a very, very simple scam when you take the jargon out of it and you take the all the nonsense terminology and all this other stuff, this is a very simple scam that central banks are running. And it is one that is destined to fail. And the simpler the questions you ask, the better. Like mm-hmm. I just said about that, you know, well, why do we have to pay? You know, why does the government need $3.9 trillion in tax revenue every year when the Fed can just come up with $3.9 trillion? Hey, if they're printing $40,000 per American citizen right now and we're only getting $1,200 per person, where's the other $38,800 per person going? Another really great question people should be asking. You yeah. know, and then how much is too much, right? Is $12 trillion too much? Is $24 trillion too much? Is $36 trillion too much? These guys have gone insane. Mnuchin is talking yesterday about trying to bail out, okay, the trillion-dollar oil industry when the price of oil is screaming, okay, the price of oil, which the price is a rationing mechanism, is screaming that supply needs to come down, demand needs to come up. That's what a price going down actually is telling the market, right? And these dumb motherfuckers with their PhDs and their printing presses think that they think that there is a there is a human based solution to every free market move out there, which is the most arrogant and ridiculous thing that you could possibly assume. It is a very simple con that they're running. The con that they're running is they want you to believe 
that their system, their monetary policy system of fiat currency, printing as much money as we need and running huge deficits and $25 trillion in debt. And it's all about spending, but it's not about savings. And we know where the price of interest rates should be instead of the free market. They want you to believe that that's true. And I still can't wrap my head around whether or not they think that's true or they think, well, we're fucking here already. And, you know, we just got to pass the buck to the next guy and hope the thing doesn't go tits up while we're in office, you know, <laughs> because otherwise it's going to be a huge deal. But they want you to believe that that's true and that that's true in perpetuity. They want to they want you to believe that they have overturned thousands of years of basic economic laws like sound money, like supply and demand. And Ron Paul said it best on my podcast. He said it may take a while. But the free market is always going to win. The free market is always going to eventually do what it wants to do. So these dickheads are doing 120 miles an hour, heading directly towards a brick wall with fucking no airbags. And uh, and they're just not going to be happy until they hit the wall. And what are we going to do? What can we do aside from, you know, I get on Periscope, I drink some vodka, I try to scream as loud as I possibly can to wake some people up, but what what can you do? It's yeah. it's just insane. Yeah, and as you mentioned, it's and then you gotta to... watch them, they ain't gotta watch them on TV. They ain't gotta watch one PhD on television congratulating another one. You know, hey Paul, great job on the on the Nobel Peace Prize. You know, like and, and you gotta listen to Paul Krugman saying, "Well, I went to school with Ben Bernanke, so I have a certain sympathy towards him because." We were both in the Princeton economics departments together. It's like they should fucking napalm that whole building. I mean, you guys have got it wrong, you know? Like, shit, uh, I saw, not, uh, this I saw. This is not a fucking get together, okay? The old alma mater here, so we can all wear our nice suits with the school's crest on it and drink expensive champagne. Like, you guys are driving, you're flying the fucking plane into the side of the mountain while you guys are congratulating yourselves on what geniuses you are it's insane yeah and as you mentioned asking the simple questions is really what needs to happen um because some of this stuff they make it very complex but it's actually pretty simple um to to break down and to understand now we've talked on the podcast in the past about how the fed and the treasury it's really just one entity at this point where the correct Treasury issues, you know, debt. The Fed uh, buys it up, and they remit all that interest back to the Treasury. So, you know, we've had funny memes and jokes about just cut out the middleman and just, uh, you know, have have the Fed just buy it right from the Treasury instead of this whole rigmarole where they they credit reserves to these primary dealers and things. Do you think? And and then you know, to your point, going back to you know, I remember 60 Minutes when Ben Bernanke went on and said, OK, we're not uh, we're not printing money, but technically they weren't printing physical currency, but they're creating a digi digital USD into a computer to buy those treasuries and MBS and other things from the primary dealers. So and you mentioned, uh, was it Conan? So do you think that there you know, what impetus or what you know trigger will there be for the general public to start asking you know, some of these questions I, I heard. Was oh, they, they just got to understand what's going on. The problem yeah. is the problem is most people don't understand what's going on. They don't understand how the system works. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> if the if the public understood what was going on, which is essentially 
you know, brain surgeon Neil Kashkari was also on 60 Minutes recently. Yeah. And he basically said the same thing. And he was proud of it. He's like, look, we created electronically. <laughs> you know, like, like right. he just like he just fucking split the atom for the first time. You know, like he's Oppenheimer, right? Oh, it just created it. It's like you're using the fucking move comma function in Excel, all right? Even I can do that, all right? And I didn't start using Excel until like two years ago. There's nothing to it, all right? <laughs> so first off, that should frighten the shit out of people immediately. When people, under, when people start to understand, and even people that don't understand finance get it. Like Dave Portnoy was flipping out on his stream the other day saying, oh, they're shrewd bucks, whatever. And, like, he gets it because he's not overthinking it. He's like, there's a certain amount of money in circulation. And then when we add to that, that becomes inflation. And the purchasing power of the money goes down and prices will reflect that. I mean, that's just it. I mean, that's like fucking supply and demand the same way you look at supply and demand for donuts as you would for dollars. It's the same thing, right? So yeah, yeah, that's it. Once... Once the public, once the general public gets an understanding of what is going on, that the Federal Reserve is creating money and now a shitload of money, right? They are going to be essentially almost doubling the M2 money supply. Or if they're not, don't quote me on that, I'm not a financial advisor. If they're not, they're going to be increasing the M2 money supply in a significant significant fashion what does the m2 money supply mean that's a fucking fancy term for just money that's out there floating around right when the public understands that they are just flooding the market with money out of nowhere that is being created out of nowhere and that the money that they're printing is going to buy a lot of times now assets if you want to call them that things like they're buying junk bonds now where the speculators and quote unquote investors in these things kind of deserve to be losing their capital. They're, they're essentially, and everybody else is paying for this because the average person that's sitting at home, that's a plumber that isn't participating in this Ponzi scheme, you know, willingly or knowingly, at least that has their money in the bank. They're watching their money in the bank depreciate because they're getting five basis points of interest on it every year. And inflation right now is probably at fucking three percent. So the purchasing power, the money that they have saved is depreciating, which means this time next year, you'll be able to buy three percent less with the same amount of money you have in the bank right now. OK, that is a constant ongoing tax on people that have saved money. Okay, inflation is a tax on people that have saved money. So you think you're doing the right thing by saving money and by paying off debt now? Actually, you're being taxed because the the purchasing power of your money is decreasing as time progresses. So it's things like that when the public figures that kind of shit out and they link it in with what the Fed is doing and what they say that they're doing versus what they're doing. And then they start to ponder the questions like, well, how big can the Fed's balance sheet get? How are they ever going to be able to get this shit off the balance sheet? Spoiler alert, they're not going to be able to. And what happens if another country say, hmm, I don't know, maybe like fucking China 
or somebody that is way more shrewd and way smarter than we are, what happens if another country starts to call us out on that? What happens when, you know, Russia and Saudi Arabia, who have flooded the market with oil, probably on the hopes that we would be dumb as fuck and would try to bail out our oil industry by printing money, which is exactly what we're doing, because we're one-dimensional thinkers at that level of our government. What if those people then start saying, wow, like, mm, I don't know about the dollar. You guys sure are printing a lot of U.S. dollars. You know, it becomes there's a whole spider's web of questions that come off that line of thinking. And it's the faster we can get the basics of what's going on into the heads of people that normally wouldn't understand. I mean, listen, I got friends in South Philadelphia that are fucking welders and iron workers for a living. If they understood this shit that I'm talking about, they would be fucking at City Hall with torches. I mean, these are like, you know, if I said, hey, uh, Vinny, you know what? Uh, they're stealing 3% from you every year, man. You'd be like, oh, I'm going to bust your fucking head in, you know? Like, <laughs> if the people understood it, right, they wouldn't take this shit. So we, we have to get that. We have to get people's level of uh, understanding up and we have to get this kind of message out to them because it's the middle class and the savers that pay the price so that dickheads in the government can bail out their friends. It's crony capitalism, it's toxic, it creates enormous moral hazard and it is guaranteed to fail. Yeah, and you brought up a couple points there. One is just price discovery, which is you know completely gone. You talked about the Fed being able to roll off the balance sheet. That's, I mean, it was it was laughable before, you know, this recent crisis broke out, and now it, it's hard to see how anyone could argue that. But you have these Fed apologists out there uh, saying that, uh, you know, everything is fine, and P uh, oh, you, Chris, you don't understand how the Fed works, and you don't yeah. understand, um, you know, how how the how the the Fed. Uh, you know, the central bank balance sheet that didn't cause inflation like a lot of people thought it would. And then, oh, well, then people pivoted to the, this theory of asset price inflation. But I think, you know, so you, you touched on all those things. Now, when you look at gold, it seems like, you know, finally more and more gold is becoming more into the mainstream, I'll say, maybe not mainstream, but um, you know, we just saw the Bank of America, I guess, put out um, a report saying gold is going to 3000 or whatever. But, you know, sell-side research comes out. They're always contradicting themselves anyway. But when you look historically, you know, most people's financial advisor or broker would never recommend gold or even talk about it. So, but when you look at these macro hedge fund, fund managers, you know, they've been <laughs> holding gold for a long, long time. When you look at people like Jim Grant and people like Ron Paul, who you mentioned, who was on your program and others, um, maybe they know more about economic history and markets than, uh, than most people, right? You would think. So, you know, what's your take on that? My take is it's a certainty that they know more. <laughs> I don't even know if they know more. I think that you know, guys like Bernanke can wrap their head around what Ron Paul is trying to say. Like, you remember those congressional hearings where the two of them yeah. would go back and forth um, and Bernanke never really had a good answer for him. Um, you know, but they just choose to believe there's an arrogance there that we can pull enough strings to tell the free market what to do forever. 
and you just can't. You know, we've done it for three decades. Well, what's three decades, you know, over the over the longer term? It's nothing. Three decades is nothing. You know, in a thousand years, three decades will be a rounding error, right? It, so gold and the kind of basic rules of, you know, what uh, why gold was used as a currency uh, and, you know, the basics of economics, right? Your supply and demand, all these econ 101 principles, economic laws, they've all been around for thousands of years, thousands of years, right? So you go back in history and, you know, you can boil down all of the transactions that people were making to buy and sell products and services. They all kind of have these root uh, tenets and principles that are all the same. And you just don't stand in front of that locomotive that's been doing 200 miles an hour for 3,000 years straight forward and say, I've got the solution and I'm going to turn this fucking thing around right now because I'm, I'm Ben Bernanke with superpowers, you know? It just doesn't go that way, you know? And, and so you have on one side of the equation a bunch of fucking guys that can't believe that they're not geniuses because they went to Ivy League institutions and they were taught by other people who can't believe that they're not geniuses that this Keynesian experiment, you know, is really the way to go and modern monetary theory is the way to go, et cetera, et cetera, you know? kind of ignoring the fact that that all hinges on confidence. It's something they assume will always be there. I don't know how in-depth they get talking about that in graduate school programs or talking about things like moral hazard, but whatever. You have this one group that thinks that they are too smart to fail, and you have another group that is far more humble, that is trying to caution us from straying too far off of the path of the basics, the basic principles. Um, and the people on that path, they like gold because gold has a finite supply. There's only so much of it to go around. It has staying power. It's been used as an economic instrument for thousands of years. It's a store of value. It has value in various industries as well. Same deal with silver. Silver much more has uh, much more value as a uh, commodity than it does as a, as a store of value. But the precious metals, the thing about them is there are only so many of them. That's why they're called precious metals. And no matter how much hooting and hollering and white papers and fucking footnotes and PhDs and cocktail parties and all the shit that all these smart, you know, Nobel prizes, whatever. No matter how many of all these things happen, gold does not give a fuck. It's been around for thousands of years and it's still going to be around for thousands of years. And the people that believe in that staying power in gold are just saying, all right, well, the rest of you people, the people that think that they're too smart to fail, go ahead and fill around with your little fucking science experiment with the economy and with monetary policy, but I'm sticking here with this commodity, which, by the way, is nearing all-time high prices as priced in dollars. So if you want to look at the strength of the dollar in gold instead of looking at the strength of the dollar against the basket of other nonsense bullshit currencies, you can see how weak the dollar has gotten. 
Um, and that's no mistake. And Bank of America, when you see sell side, and by the way, Bank of America didn't come out with a $2,200 price target or a $2,100 <laughs> price target, right. or hey, we see a fucking Fibonacci, whatever, or here's a support level, you know, like all this dumb shit they've been doing over the last 10 years. We see a good support at 2172 and there's a selling point at 1963 it's like motherfucker we're printing 12 trillion dollars all right gold is going up and it's going up by a lot all right and that's all you need to know because they can't fuck with the supply of gold they can fuck with the supply of dollars which they're doing and that's fine print as many of them as you'd like but you can't fuck with the supply of gold and bank of america who put a three thousand $3,000 18-month price target on gold is starting to realize that. They're starting to realize that no matter how much flailing and hooting and hollering, we have gone down this rabbit hole, this central bank rabbit hole, and gold going up over the course of decades is, in my opinion, a certainty. It's a certainty, and it still doesn't get talked about. So maybe Bank of America is the first one to catch on. Peter Schiff said on his podcast yesterday, you know, the GDX has doubled off of its lows here in the last, like, I don't know, like six weeks. And nobody even mentions it on CNBC. Guy Adami is the only guy that ever mentions it. He's, Guy Adami is the only guy that ever mentions the miners, right? It never comes up. So when the mainstream and the retail crowd starts to catch on to this, which they will, you know, maybe it'll be at $2,500 an ounce. Who the fuck knows? I mean... They're not exactly the sharpest tools in the shed, but at some point they will catch on. I applaud Bank of America for whatever reason, you know, putting out that note the other day. Um, it's inevitable and it's a certainty. Just as it's a certainty that prices will go up and the purchasing power of your dollar will go down, it is a certainty that the price of gold will go up over the course of the long term. It's, yeah. it's really not... It's not complicated. It's not complicated. Yeah, and you've talked in the past about you had Bill Fleckenstein on the program, which was a great listen. I'll link it in the show notes, doing a whole episode on gold and miners and things. And I know you've had him on a few times, but, you know, the gold manipulation has been proven. There's there's even been some lawsuits and I think even a couple convictions. And this is a real thing. This is not a conspiracy um, you know, what's your thought on that? Do you think that, um, I mean, obviously they, they have a stake in, in the price of gold not going up. Um, so, you know, that's, you know, central banks. <laughs> well, that, you know what, that's fine and good for them. Or just and, the whole system, the whole, the whole banking as system as itself. The price, as far as the price of gold being manipulated, I don't even think about it. I mm-hmm. really don't. I just because here's the deal. If it is being manipulated at some point, it's going to crack. I don't know when five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, whatever. All right. All I know is that to me, in my opinion, gold is a way for me to preserve my wealth. So I buy physical gold and I hold it. And then manipulation, no manipulation, price targets, no price targets. Market goes up, market goes down. Fed prints, Fed doesn't print, whatever. You know, I'm going, I'm banking on the 3,000 years of history as an economic instrument, you know, and there's no amount of manipulation or, you know, free yeah, market. Yeah, no, no, I wasn't of, suggesting that wasn't a reason not to own it, but just to get your thoughts on 
I never even think about it. I, yeah. I never think about it. it there, there's nothing that concerns me less because at, at some point, if it's being manipulated because they don't want it to go up, that just means it's going to go up violently at some point whenever their efforts fail, which are inevitable because they're dumbasses. And, uh, and if it's not being manipulated, it's going to go up anyways. So that makes it's sense. Either, you're, you're either betting on the free market to eventually help discover the price of this commodity, or you think that it can be, what, artificially suppressed for decades? I mean, I, certainly I don't think that's the case, but if they want to try, let them try. I mean, I don't care. That makes sense. And I think the core of this whole conversation is, as you mentioned, just getting back to basis and simplifying things. You've mentioned this on your program in the past is that, you know, we cannot print our way to prosperity. Printing more money does not equal economic output. It doesn't equal goods and services that people right. you know, consume. You know, we, we literally cannot li keep printing money and print our way to prosperity. And we and we're literally ramping up the presses and, and printing another our way out of this again. Um, and so what's your, your view now on, on where this goes? You know, let's speculate on things and where this goes from here. I mean, is this just going to be another cycle that we saw in the past where they blow another bubble here? Or will there be no, a reckoning? I have no clue. And as somebody that owns gold, I'm fine with that. You know, it's, yeah. Jim, Jim Chino said to me one day, forget what we were talking about, but we were talking about this macro. And he just said to me, it's an unprecedented experiment. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you're right. And so it's an unprecedented experiment that's going to have an unprecedented outcome. Now, what is that outcome going to look like? You're going to have all these guys arguing over whether the U.S. will default or they'll try to print their way out of debt. You know, those are two very different situations where two very different things happen. I don't really care which of the two happens. One of the two has to happen. We're either going to try to print our way out of our debt or we're going to default on the debt. We can't fucking pay it back. But really looking forward... There's like a broad range of outcomes. We yeah. could have stagflation. We could turn into fucking Japan, mm -hmm. you know, where the Fed goes in and they start buying stocks if they're not doing it already. I mean, I think that that's definitely going to happen during the next crisis. May even happen this time around. They're already buying ETFs, which as far as I'm concerned is buying stocks. People say, oh, they're not buying stocks. They're buying junk bond ETFs. That's almost worse than buying stocks. I'd almost rather them be buying fucking Microsoft than buying, you know, <laughs> fucking terrible debt of like shit Permian Basin oil companies or whatever kind of just. <laughs> yeah, at least the, at least the Swiss National Bank owns uh, at least the Swiss na uh, National Bank owns Apple stock. So. <laughs> right. So, um, so what is the outcome going to be? Is it going to be a very weak dollar compared to? gold and just massive inflation and you know in a situation where there's a lot of inflation the stock market goes up in nominal terms i mean that's a possibility it's a possibility in 18 months that gold is at five thousand dollars an ounce and the dow is at forty thousand i mean in 18 months that that's a possibility it's also a possibility that in 18 months the dow's at exactly where it closed today and gold is still much higher i think but um i just I don't know. It, to me, it appears that the only mandate that the Fed thinks that they have is the stock market. Um, 
you know, the Fed's actual mandate is supposed to be price stability and jobs. Um, they don't really seem to care about price stability. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doubling the fucking monetary base. I mean, obviously, I'm not a Ph.D. economist, but if you wanted to keep prices stable, inflating the amount of money in circulation by a factor of two probably isn't the smartest thing to do. But again, what do I know, right? Just a crazy bartender with tattoos here. Uh, I have no clue. Um, but to me, it appears that their only mandate is the stock market. Um, they have changed their policy on tightening the balance sheet before this whole mess even happened when the stock market pulled back, which, by the way, in retrospect, you know, I called that shit out at the Stansbury conference in October when I was speaking in Las Vegas. How fucking dumb do they look now? Like, I mean, it was dumb when it happened. But to think of the fact that now we're suffering through a real crisis with 25 million people unemployed right now looking for unemployment and the Fed felt like they couldn't just tick interest rates up. They had to lower interest rates yeah. in, in 2019 before this happened with the Dow at 28,000, 27,000, because the S&P, <laughs> what, it slipped 10 basis points in a day? <laughs> like, pardon my language, but what a bunch of dickless cowards. Honestly, I mean, they really are. They don't have a set of balls between the entire group of Fed governors. It's a sad situation. They have no backbone. They have no spine. And you need those things if you want to be a clinical third-party objective observer of the macro economy and make decisions accordingly. And they don't have a set of balls between any of them. They can't take it. Powell bowed to the pressure from the president, okay, who ran on the platform form of we're in a bubble, and then when he was elected, decided, hey, let's blow the bubble here. And, uh, and they've been taking their cues from the stock market. And that's it. You know, they're a bunch of babies They're, You know, I wrote an article in like 2017 or 2018 on Seeking Alpha, and it's called this, The Fed is Gutless. And by the time we realize it'll be too late, that, that was the title of the article. Mm -hmm. And this was my argument was there, you know, when you're 10 years into a bull market, you're supposed to be raising interest rates, even mm -hmm. if you believe in this stupid Keynesian price fixing scam okay yeah. you're supposed to be just like you're supposed to cushion the blow on the way down you're supposed to be roping in the euphoria on the way up and they didn't do that they smoked the fucking monetary crack and they went on a bender on the way up and instead of when it was time to come down and it was time to cool off and it was time to rope things in a little bit okay they just couldn't do it they couldn't do it they had the lower rates from two and a quarter percent to two percent. It's pathetic and it makes me sick. And if the average American understood what the Fed is supposed to be doing versus what they are doing, they would be physically ill themselves. They would be pissed. They would be angry. And uh, I can't get over it. It's just it's the biggest con and the biggest scam maybe in human history. Yeah, and that's where the title of the podcast comes from, is David Einhorn's article back in 2012 talking about this jelly donut policy of, you know, one one jelly donut, that's that's a nice snack, maybe two or three, and then once you're on your 20th, 
And now we're being fed our basically like our 50th or 100th jelly donut trying to, you know, prop prices up and artificially stimulate with a sugar high. And more of the crux of, of the article was not so much about the balance sheet, but what you just talked about was interest rates and and having, you know, these this NERP and ZERP policy actually being really harmful and destructive to the overall economy. And when, when we had our chance, whatever year it was, whatever year you want to pick, whether that's 2012, 13, or 14, some people argued that maybe we had a recession in 2016, but it wasn't measured as one by that outside agency. What is it? NEBR that measures if we do have a recession or not. Another outside agency, you know, putting, <laughs> being able to certify that, which maybe we don't even need that at all either. So, you know, maybe we've finally passed that point to where we can we can raise rates at all when they should have done it a long, long time ago. Well, we're, we're in the midst of a depression right now. Is anybody talking about it like we're in the midst of a depression? Has anybody used the word depression? I mean, I haven't heard anybody. Right. Somebody asked me on another podcast, you know, do I think do I think we'll enter a depression? I was like, there's 26 million people unemployed right now. I'm like, what the fuck is the depression if this isn't a depression? Right. right. So don't, you know, and, and, you know, does it surprise me that the International Federation of Fox Sticks or whatever they are doesn't doesn't measure it as a recession? Well, according to our models, it's not a recession. It's like there's 26 million people unemployed. All right. It's a depression. I don't need a calculator or any kind of shit to do that. I'm fucking walking around my house in my pajamas right now, sipping a beer. I can tell you that that's a depression. You know, like you're telling me you guys can't figure that out. Your books and your graphs and your protractors and all the stupid shit that you guys have. You can't figure that out. Give me a break. Right. And so in closing here, let's just kind of tie this together. And you know, we're recording here on Friday, April the 24th. And markets have been kind of whipsawing back and forth. We've seen. Some interesting anomalies like the negative oil price contract, and we see, you know, we've seen all this Fed intervention that keeps coming fast and furious with the CARES Act and and the, the small business payroll protection program. It, it's just, you know, initiative after initiative to where, like you said, sooner or later, I mean, the the mandate has increased so much where it's the, the bottom line is it's it's clear they're trying to just prop asset prices up. So, you know. The, the the price of oil getting shellacked is like the best sign of a free market I've seen in years. So mm -hmm. you know, like, granted, those contracts went negative, and there's a reason for that. Um, but that is like, I was like almost excited to see that. Like, first off, prices coming down is not a bad thing. All right. So the gas station by my house today had regular for under $2 for the first time, whatever. So regular was trading with a one handle at my local gas station, right? So now I can fill my tank for less than it would take previously. And I understand a lot of people are not driving anymore, and so there's not a lot of demand, but there are some people that are still driving. You know, there's truckers out there delivering food and corporations that use oil. And so they're getting the benefit of the lower prices. And, uh, and why did prices get driven down so quickly? Um, because Saudi Arabia and Russia decided to flood the market with supply, which really, it's a whole other discussion. I just did a Periscope on it yesterday, talking about how the oil market is rigged in and of itself. 
But again, like, what does price moving down say? It's, a it's actually a good thing. Yeah, and it's funny as you mentioned that Mnuchin came out right away and said, okay, now we're looking into propping up some of these uh, yeah. oil companies, right? As soon as there's any downside price action to yeah, be able to have so some type of market. It's <laughs> so predictable and it's so pathetic and it demonstrates a complete lack of understanding of the necessities of uh, economic functions and a complete lack of just balls and just a spine in general. So it is a pathetic display from Mnuchin, and it's been a pathetic and embarrassing and shameful display from our central banks. Exactly. And I think when you look at some of the socialism for the wealthy and some of the things that we're going to be seeing and we have seen and there's already been some backlash where some of this money has been returned and there's obviously a, a deb large debate about uh, it, it it makes me sick there's so much money that the government is sending out right now that they can't possibly keep track of it all there's going <laughs> exactly. to be so much there's going to be so much fraud and misuse of this money and what really makes me sick is what I tweeted out the other day which is you know there are going to be people that from this fiscal stimulus find a way to steal hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars from the government and retire on it when people like me and my friends and the people that I know have worked our entire lives diligently. I've never had less than two jobs dating back to the time that I was fucking 22 or 23 years old. We've worked diligently our entire lives to put together, you know, the, the what we have, our houses and our, you know, what our little bits of equity and our little bits of money that we've been able to save. And there's people that as a result of the government just cutting fucking checks and not being able to track where it's going to go are going to be able to fraudulently, you know, make more than not even make, just obtain. They're not making it. They're not producing anything. They're just gaming a system. Then then people like you and I will have worked for you know, it'll maybe be a decade of work. Lucky for me, I love to work. I enjoy what I do. You know, I think it's, I don't know. I just, I like to work. I like to be productive. And to me, it makes sense. Um, but it's sickening. Yeah, it's funny people, how you. People that, people that are similarly situated as I am and have also worked their whole lives should be outraged by it with a capital O, outraged. Yeah, it's funny how you, you're mentioning trouble tracking it. And there was a story from CalPERS, a large pension plan in California, where they, they actually couldn't even track how much money they were paying in private equity uh, fees to managers. And they yeah. had to devise their own, hire uh, another you know, company just to program the accounting software to figure out. $5 trillion. I know it's yeah. absolutely sickening. It's pathetic and it's sickening and it's just... If I think about it too long, I really, I mean, I really get pissed off. And I'm, I'm genuinely pissed off right now. Uh, I just, it's sickening. It's absolutely sickening. The amount of money that we're talking about is sickening. All right, well, we'll leave you, we'll close here with any last thoughts for the audience. And um, yeah, we're, we're going to link your show and some of the other things here in the show notes. But uh... My closing thoughts are this. Learn what's going on and empower yourselves and get pissed off. Because, you know, I put out a tweet a couple weeks ago that said the government is printing enough for $40,000 per American citizen. And you're getting 
at best $1,200 of that. Some people are getting zero of it. But yeah. let's just say you're getting $1,200 of it. And then I wrote, you don't need to know where the other $38,000 is going to know that you're getting fucked somehow. In other words, you don't have to understand that inflation is a tax. You don't have to understand where the money is going. You just got to know that if it's not going directly to you, you're getting screwed somehow. So figure it out and get pissed off. That will be my advice. All right. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, we encourage you to tell a friend. You can also support the show for as little as a dollar a month through our Anchor website. Just go to www.jellydonutpodcast.com. If you have feedback, find us on Twitter, at jellydonutpod, or you can contact us via email at jellydonutpodcast at protonmail.com. As a reminder, all opinions expressed by guests are solely their own and do not reflect the views of their employer or any other affiliated entity. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a basis for investment decisions or advice.